Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. There's Nahum serving away faithfully and God gives him a vision and says, let me tell you what's going to happen. Hey, Judah, let me let you know what's going to happen to your oppressors. Let me give you a word of encouragement. Those ones who have inflicted so much pain in your life, oh yeah, I'm going to handle those guys. I'm going to handle them. It's going to be 20 years, possibly, but they will answer to me. They will answer to me. That's encouraging, I think, for believers. What is the book of Nahum about, and how does it apply to our lives? Today, Pastor James will look at the powerful message of Nahum and how it can bring us hope even in our current fallen world. Nineveh was a wicked city that would have made some wonder, where is God in the midst of this? Nahum encouraged Judah and us today that the dominion of evil is only temporary. God is still on the throne, and he will bring justice to the sin in the world, all in his perfect timing. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Nahum chapter 2 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Verse 3, shields flash red in the sunlight and the scarlet uniforms of the valiant troops. Watch as their glittering chariots move into position with a forest of spears waving above them. What's kind of cool about this is Babylon's favorite color was red, right? So you got the red, the shields flash red in the sunlight. Uh, The Medes, who were going to be partnered with the Babylonians to overthrow Nineveh, their favorite color was scarlet. So here's like, Nahum's getting this, like, he sees this vision and, and he's like, oh yeah, there's going to, I see like all these red shields and I see these scarlet uniforms. And so what he's seeing is Babylon and the Medes partnering together to overthrow Nineveh. It's just fascinating, like how detailed this prophecy is. The chariots race recklessly along the streets and, and rush wildly through the squares. They flash like firelight and they move swiftly as lightning. The king shouts to his officers. They stumble in their haste, rushing to the walls to set up their defenses. The river gates have been torn open. The palace is about to collapse. What's amazing about this, like this river gates being torn open, Nineveh had the water system surrounding it, so it had moats surrounding it. And so an army would approach it, it would just seem impenetrable. Like there's no way you can get to it. Ah, but it just so happened that when Nineveh was destroyed... After a two-year siege, a sudden rise of, of the river caused part of the wall to be washed away, just like it says in the Bible. So God's given Nahum this vision of like, oh yeah, the river gates are going to be torn open. The palace is about to collapse. Well, there was a bunch of snow that was melting and that flooded the rivers. And then the rivers that were connected to Nineveh itself, the city, washed away one of the walls. So God's like, yeah. I can tear down walls easily. And so it's just fascinating that after that two-year siege by the Babylonians and the Medes, that just a bunch of snow, it was a good winter, and all that snow melt came through and just washed out the walls. And God's like, have at them. There you go. Destroy it. 
Verse 7, Nineveh's exile has been decreed, and all the servant girls mourn its capture. They moan like doves. They beat their breast in sorrow. It's just suffering and sadness everywhere. Nineveh is like a leaking water reservoir. The people are slipping away. Stop, stop, someone shouts, but no one even looks back. Loot the silver, plunder the gold. There's no end to Nineveh's treasures. It's vast, uncounted wealth. Soon the city is plundered, emptied, and ruined. Hearts melt and knees shake. The people stand aghast, their faces pale and trembling. Where now is that great Nineveh, that den filled with young lions? Um, The Assyrians loved lions. And a lot of their statues that they've been uncovering are either like the body of a lion in the head of a man or the body of a man in the head of a lion. They loved lions. Again, the Lord just referencing like, this is Nineveh. It was a place where people, like lions and their cubs, walked freely and without fear. The lion tore up meat for his cubs and strangled its prey for his mate, filled his den with prey, his caverns with his plunder. Nineveh was, I mean, they were ruling and they were destroying everybody. And then they would plunder these cities and they had tremendous amounts of wealth. And that's all, this is just word imagery here that God is using to picture like the Assyrians, like these dudes were, I mean, they were powerful. They were powerful and they thought they had it. I mean, they had everything. They had everything. Fortified city, all the gold and all the silver. I mean, they were running the show. But it does not matter what your resources are. It doesn't matter like how fortified your cities are. None of that matters in the grand scheme of things when you turn away from God. There's no walls we can build up that he can't break through. And, and here's man at his best. And like I said, you can read the, through the book of Revelation. And it, again, it's that final stand of humanity saying, no, 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 no. We can kill God. We can kill God. And then God just shows up and just speaks a word. And they're gone. There's nothing we can do like to stand in his way. In verse 13, he says, I'm your enemy, says the Lord of of heaven's armies. Your chariots will soon go up in smoke. Your young men will be killed in battle. Never again will you plunder conquered nations. The voices of your proud messengers will be heard no more. And that happened, literally, like within about 20 years this comes true. They would see this prophecy happen in their lifetime. Verse 1 of chapter 3. This is where we get our other book in to let us know historically when these events were going down. And it's just, I love history and I love it when the Bible includes different markers in there and you're like, oh yeah, I read about that. And then you got that, then you got this event and it just points you at like a bright arrow that like you can trust the word of God you can absolutely trust the word of God. So verse one of chapter three, it says, what sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies. She is crammed with wealth and is never without victims. Hear the crack of whips, the rumble of wheels, horses' hooves pound, the chariots clatter wildly. See the flashing swords and glittering spears as the charioteers charge past. There are countless casualties, heaps of bodies, So many bodies that people stumble over them. All this because Nineveh, that beautiful and faithless city, 
mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with her beauty. She taught them all her magic, enchanting people everywhere. So she turned away from God. She turned to God 150 years prior to this, but then quickly turned away from God and then went on a rampage, a violent rampage against other nations. And then not only just like decimating people, piling up heaps of bodies, but was also spreading influence everywhere she went with witchcraft, basically. Seducing nations, seducing towns. And God's like, well, there's a price to pay for that. You're going to be held accountable for that. So as a nation, nations will be held accountable for that. Individuals will be held accountable for that because Jesus references in the, in the Gospels when he was talking about little children. And if you lead little children astray, at that time for, for a bunch of Hebrew Jewish fishermen, like one of the most like craziest ideas of like tie a millstone around your neck and toss yourself into the sea. But like for them, that would be like, number one, they don't like the sea. They don't like the sea at all. But for that, like, they're like, that's kind of extreme. And Jesus is like, exactly, exactly. Because that's how I, that's how I take it. You want to mess with little kids? It's not going to go well with you. You want to spread influence to other people, impressionable people, that is wicked and that is anti-God? It's not going to go well for you. According to the word of God, you want to steal kids from families or take advantage of families and buy little kids from them and then introduce them into a sex trafficking thing? It's not going to go well for you. And what we need to remember is justice might not happen here in, in our time frame, but justice is coming. It is coming. Well, then what, what do we do? Well, pray, minister, reach out, support the ones who are fighting those battles. He's like, but I got the bad guys. I'm going to handle all of it. I'm going to handle all of it. Because there's cries that go up to God and I believe most of the cries that are probably rising up to his ears right now are cries from little kids. And he hears those cries. And he will answer those cries. So Nineveh, is, I mean, they were just as guilty as, as any other civilization on this planet. It's nothing new. They were leading people astray. And, and even the book of Jonah gave us an insight into that because the reference there towards the end of Jonah was you have 120,000 individuals who can't distinguish their left hand from their right hand, which would probably be more than likely be a reference towards children. And so there were 120, possibly 120,000 children living in Nineveh. So what are they doing? Well, they're influencing them with violence. They're influencing them with this wickedness, enchanting people, well, not just in their own town, but everywhere. There's a price to pay for that. Good news is, at least from where we're at in history, for Nineveh, it's too late. Time was up. But where we're at in history, it's like, well, there still can be repentance. There still can be repentance. The clock hasn't stopped ticking just yet. But man, I think we are in that final feels like last seconds kind of a thing. Just that, that thing of influence. It's, it's such a powerful thing. And there's so much accountability that goes with that. 
We have to, even as, even as a teacher, this is something that I'm, I, I try to stay present, you know, concerning my mindset of like teaching and teaching the word of God. There's, there's influence that comes with that. And I, man, I like, I have to check myself all the time, all the time. Verse five of chapter three, he goes on, I'm your enemy. This is a repeat. He's letting him know I'm your enemy. <laughs> I'm the guy who's coming after you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And now I will lift your skirts and show all the earth your nakedness and shame. Kind of this humiliation thing. I will cover you with filth and show the world how vile you really are. All who see you will shrink back and say, Nineveh lies in ruins. Where are the mourners? Does anyone regret your destruction? Here's our our historical bookend here. Are you any better than the city of uh, Thebes? Uh, It's a city in Egypt, uh, situated on the Nile River, surrounded by water. She was protected by the river on all sides, walled in by water. Ethiopia and the land of Egypt gave unlimited assistance. Nations of Put and Libya were among her allies. Yet Thebes fell. Her people were led away as captives. Her babies were dashed to death against the stones on the streets. Soldiers threw dice to get Egyptian officers as servants. All their leaders were bound in chains. Thebes, or Thebes, however you want to say that, I think it's Thebes, but it fell in 663 BC. So we know that this letter had to have been written after 663 BC, okay? We also know that it had to have been written before 612 BC because that's when Nineveh was destroyed. So there's your window, 663 to 612 BC, That is the window of when Nahum was serving as a prophet. And so within that window, you have three kings representing uh, Judah, right? So I've already referenced that. You know, Hezekiah had passed away. So you got Manasseh, you got Ammon, and then you have Josiah within that window. You also have three kings representing Nineveh within that window as well. Wicked dudes. It's just a beautiful thing where Nahum shows up and he's like, hey, remember, remember the city that you destroyed? Because it was Nineveh, it was the Assyrians who destroyed it. He's like, are you any better than them? What you did for them, God's going to do to you. So he's like, you guys don't stand a chance. And that's where they got a lot of their wealth from was in the, I mean, they destroyed many other cities, but Thebes was one of those rich, wealthy cities that they got tons of plunder from those guys. So it's beautiful when, when, when the history happens and you just see like, oh, okay, so in that, uh, this happened on that day. We know that factually. And then we know Nineveh was destroyed, was destroyed on this date. We know that factually as well. And so in between there is, there's Nahum serving away faithfully. And God gives him a vision and says, let me tell you what's going to happen. Hey, Judah, let me let you know what's going to happen to your oppressors. Let me give you a word of encouragement. Those ones who have inflicted so much pain in your life. Oh, yeah, I'm going to handle those guys. I'm going to handle them. It's going to be 20 years, possibly, but they will answer to me. They will answer to me. That's encouraging, I think, for believers, because the world's not going to get any easier for us. If you're a Christ follower, if you've ever bought into the lie that, man, it just gets all easier once you give your life over to the Lord, let me tell you, in the last days in which we are living, it is going to get harder for you. The temperature will get turned up. But I know this, the Lord knows how to deliver his people. The Lord knows how to bring justice to those 
who have had pain inflicted upon them. He knows how to do that, and nobody can do it better than God. Nobody can do it better than him. Verse 11, the last little bit of this. He says, and you, Nineveh, will also stagger like a drunkard. You will hide for fear for the attacking enemy. All your fortresses will fail. They will be devoured like the ripe figs that fall into the mouths of those who shake the tree. Just shaking the tree and the fruit just falls off. It's basically saying, he's like, you're going down. You're just going down. Your troops will be as weak and helpless as women. Look, this isn't like a slight against women at all, okay? We're talking like militarily, though, like as soldiers. Back then, you weren't going to have really women enlisted in the army, okay? That's just how it was. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. That's how it was. And so God is making a reference here of like, your men who should have the broad shoulders, like the dudes who should be dudes, like men, right? Like, You'll be cowards. And not that women are cowards, but he's saying you're, you're, not, you're not living up to who you are made to be. Your men, were, you're, they're just weak. They're helpless. They should be running to the battle to fight, but yet they're hiding out. They're hiding out. And in fact, if you can elaborate a little bit more on the word picture here, it, it, it would be almost as if that, um, like if, if the building's on fire and, uh, you know, and there's a, there's a guy in there, and there's women and children. He's pushing those ones over to get out of the burning building, right? Like, he's despicable in that sense, right? You should be, the boat's going down, you're looking out for the, the safety of other people, right? If you're like a man, and yes, I think we still need men in our culture today who are like, I'll go down with the ship, if that means that other people get to survive, right? Like, I'll run into the burning building, if it means that we're rescuing souls. It's not like, hey, let me push these people ahead and let, you know, why don't you go, go do it? You know, or let's send the kids into the fiery building and maybe they can save the culture, right? No, it's like, let's run into the building. In Nineveh, it was the opposite. When judgment showed up, they were like, uh, I'm out, I'm out. I'm gonna go hide somewhere and Women and children first? No, I don't think so. Me first, right? Is kind of what their, their process was, their thought process was. So this isn't, this isn't anything against the strength of women and all that stuff. Not at all. Some of the strongest people I know on this planet are females. And one of them happens to be my mom, right? Because she had to raise four kids by herself. Like, strong. Uh, she's also super stubborn. And that's probably where that, some of that strength is. Um, but the Lord's just, he's just painting this picture for them of like the state of Nineveh. It says, the gates of your land will be opened wide to the enemy and set on fire and burned. Get ready for the siege, store up water, strengthen the defenses, go into the pits to trample clay and pack it into molds, making bricks to repair the walls. But the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you down. The enemy will consume you like locusts, devouring everything they see. And there will be no escape. Even if you multiply like swarming locusts, merchants have multiplied until they outnumber the stars. But like a swarm of locusts, they strip the land and fly away. Your guards and officials are also like swarming locusts that crowd together in the hedges on a cold day. But like locusts that fly away when the sun comes up, all of them will fly away and disappear. You will be left all alone. Your shepherds are asleep, O Assyrian king. Your princes lie dead in the dust. Your people are scattered across the mountains with no one to gather them together. There is no healing for your wound. Your injury is fatal. 
All who hear your destruction will clap their hands for joy. Where can anyone be found who has not suffered from your continual cruelty? And that's how he ends his letter, (laughs) right? And you're just like, time's up. They would fall within about 20 years. The most agreed upon date really is 612 BC. And God lets them know, I gave you a chance. He also let the inhabitants of Canaan know when Israel was as Hebrew slaves in Egypt, he gave them 400 years. And what influences did he have in the country and all that stuff? I, I don't really know, but there were influences that were there. So we weren't without an excuse, so to speak. But then the 400 years are up and it's like, okay, I'm bringing my people back and this is their land and you're done because the clock is, it's over. A loving God has to administer justice within our world. He has to. And so we can read through the book of Revelation, and it's a hard pill sometimes to swallow when you think of all the destruction and, and, and the death and, and all that. But my goodness, how much time have we had post-crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus? We've had over 2,000 years. And humanity is just bent upon, we're going to do it our way. Just know that the clock will run out, though. And when it does, there's a bill that has to be paid. It has to be paid. So with Nahum, you know, his is message of judgment. You got Jonah, message of mercy. Just two beautiful kind of contrasts there. The same city. Nineveh was destroyed, like I said, so much so that, again, it was just, it was forgotten. And still to this day, it's like, what's Nineveh? Who's Nineveh? Nineveh was a great city. I don't know anything about Nineveh. Oh, that's that dirt hill out there in the Middle East? Yeah, used to stand proudly. The same thing for Babylon. Oh, they're, they're digging up Babylon as well and you know, trying to rebuild uh, you know, that city. And that city, maybe physically, yeah, I'm sure it's physically too within Revelation, but definitely uh, spiritually um, makes a rise again. But Nineveh, never again. It's done. It, it's done. And even if people wanted to try to revive Nineveh, God's like, you're just done. I give you a chance. And the clock is, the clock is up on that. So an interesting little prophecy there from Nahum, just a faithful guy who was used by God. He was given a vision. And that vision was, again, it was written for Israel, but about Nineveh. And sometimes that's what the Lord does for us. He, he can communicate a message that is for you. It may be about this thing, but it is for you. And hopefully it's a message of encouragement because I can guarantee you, if you lived in Judah during this day and Nahum was walking through and he's like, hey, I got this vision. Let me tell you about this vision from God. They would be celebrating that. They'd be like, wait, so God's going to conquer our enemy? Yeah. I want more of that good news, okay? That's the takeaway we should all have concerning the word of God is like, wait, so God wins in the end? Yeah, he wins in the end, okay? So yeah, we celebrate that like, oh, shoo, man, that's good. Because I didn't think anybody could beat that enemy in my life. Oh, they're nothing. They're nothing compared to God. That enemy, that thing, that whatever, doesn't stand a chance. Doesn't stand a chance. I wish I knew what the expiration date was on some of these things, but nobody knows. But what we do know is God wins in the end, always. 
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're currently in a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Don't let the word minor fool you. Normally, its definition is widely known as not important, but that's not the case here. Many men from days of old spoke about the faithfulness of Jesus and his power to bring wayward souls back to him. Despite all of their poor choices, Jesus used different prophets to speak the saving truth of his righteousness into their lives. If you liked what you heard today, you have an opportunity to share it with others by making a donation to this ministry at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Donation tab. Feel free to explore other teachings by Pastor James as well. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary, Galveston. If you're looking for a church that you can call home, or you simply want to connect and pray with somebody, we'd love to be that for you. You can get in touch with us by filling out the contact form at our website, breadforthebroken.com. Interested in visiting us at one of our services? Well, you have two options available to you, Sundays at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. If you can't get there, we invite you to use our Facebook live stream. We'd love to connect with you because there's hope and healing in Jesus. Our time is up for today's edition, but we'd encourage you to tune in next time to hear more about these prophets that had major messages from God. Join us for more wisdom that comes from the Word of God right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.